This is the Horse Radio Network. Greetings, everyone. Coach Jen here, and thanks for tuning in to Horse Tip Daily, episode 1332, where Steve Krause from Cornell University Farrier Department gives us the down and dirty on wet weather hoof health. This episode is brought to you by our auditors. If you'd like to become an auditor, just go to horsetipdaily.com and click on the official HRN auditor banner. I got together with Cornell University Farrier Program Director Steve Krause, as we do on a monthly basis, and we had a little chat about uh, the hor- types of issues your horse can have during wet weather, because lots of places in uh, the world right have now. very, very wet fall and autumn seasons. So uh, this is what we talked about. Here, This is for you, Texas. Welcome to the show, Steve. How are you doing this month? Good, good. Everything's fine. We have nice, uh, uh, beautiful fall days up here in Ithaca, New York. Oh, yeah, that's the part of the country where fall is really beautiful. Let us get on with the subjects at hand. And interesting that you talked about wet weather uh, late in mid- middle and late summer, because today it's all about hoof issues your horse is likely to have and you to suffer with during wet weather conditions. So start us out with that, Steve. Well, that's probably the worst um, uh, weather for farriers or farriers that are shooting horses in um chronically wet climates. Um, when I traveled around the country and sorry, I'm mostly familiar with the Northeast, um, uh, done some shoeing down in South Florida also down in around Wellington, but I've get, I've gotten to travel all around the country and definitely climate and soil and weather conditions have a major impact on horses feet and, and where they live. And certainly there's variations within seasons and, and, and areas also. So definitely there's uh, probably one of the most major impacts is moisture conditions, whether, you know, certainly the two extremes have the most, the worst effect. Um, but uh, wet weather, constantly wet weather, especially when uh, the horses are not adapted to that, will give you uh, a lot of problems to deal with. So if you have a horse that has been living in very dry conditions, for example, you're in the desert states or in California, for example, yeah, and you ship in because you're going to spend the winter season doing the indoor circuit and you move into an area that has just been uh, living through a wet spell, um, right? what might you see with that horse versus a horse that's been living that in that particular area all season long? Well, the things that are going to absorb moisture. Um, and, uh, it's going to almost appear like the feet are growing, um, uh, because, uh, uh, you know, they, they expand with the extra moisture content and it's not like a sponge, but kind of like a sponge, you know, it's not going to absorb it as fast as a sponge, but you're definitely going to see issues where nice, hard, durable feet are starting to turn into, um, softer, less durable feet. And um, obviously, shod horses versus unshod horses, you're going to have more of an impact on the unshod horse right away because he's got nothing to stabilize the foot. Um, and when they're in these chronically dry climates, period, then the feet are always you know, soft and, and less durable. 
That's interesting that you say that you're going to notice a big difference in the unshod hoof versus the shod hoof more quickly. What are some examples of things that your average horse owner might look at and say, ooh, what's that from that that is caused by this sudden influx of living in moist on moist ground? Well, well, as the feet expand, um, the, uh, the the horn tubules are, are like um, absorbing water, and they're expanding. So it appears like the foot is growing faster, but it's probably not growing faster. But it's it has more moisture content to it. So it'd be like taking um, if you look at uh, a soft wood versus hardwood. Hardwood would be like the hard, durable. Um, hooves that you have in really dry climates and soft wood would be like, you know, uh, you know, the faster growing, like evergreen type, you know, trees. And so now you have a, a less durable, more space be- between the cells, so to speak. Um, so the feet haven't grown more, but they appear to grow more because they absorb more moisture. And now the cells are um, less tightly packed. So you have a less durable foot. Interesting. So the the now is there are there different things that we might see as a horse owner looking at our horse's feet or and picking them up and cleaning them out with continuously wet weather versus um, quickly alternating wet and dry and wet and dry. For example, it's muddy and wet outside, but every day your horse comes into the stall and spells tw- spends twelve hours on dry shavings, so his feet get really dry and then really wet when he goes back out. Are there different things that we're liable to have to deal with between those two? I think if a horse is like alternating daily back and forth between whether it be some turnout where it's moister and then going into dry conditions, I don't think you're going to see that much of a change that rapidly. I think you're going to actually have a nice moisture, you know, balance of the foot that way. But if it's, for instance, if you uh, start off the summer around here and it, let's say it's um, really wet and the feet are again absorbing lots of water, um, and they're, you know, they they seem to be very growthy, but they're not very durable. They fall apart easy. And then all of a sudden, so so now when you you shoe these horses, if they're in, you know, working, you know, conditions, and you shoe these horses, and everything is uh, fits up really nice, and you know, they're nice feet to work with your tools because they're softer. And then all of a sudden, the rain stops, and it doesn't rain for a few weeks, and everything dries out, and all the conditions the horses are living in are dry, dry, dry. And now over time, these feet, even though they're growing, they're sort of tightening up at the same time. So shoes that would normally not be loose are loose. They're, they're like clattering. You know? So it changes the whole shoeing cycle. Uh-huh. Um, when you have like weeks of one thing and weeks of another thing, you know, an opposite over a period of several weeks, that's when you see the big changes. So would that be a little bit like um, when we're talking about the shoe staying tight, so you've got a nail through the hoof wall. You put a nail into a piece of uh, a two-by-four that you bought at the outdoor lumber mill during a wet spell, and you put right. a nail in there. Now, nine months later, you've suffered through the driest summer on record. The nail right. that you put into that two-by-four is likely to feel a little bit loose because the wood right. that you put it into has literally shrunken. Well, a better analogy would be if you um, are building like a, a barn barn, and you're lining the barn with some, uh, you know, fresh sawn uh, wood, and you put up everything nice and tight, and you have no cracks between the boards lining your barn, 
and now they're out of the weather and they're drying up, and then six months later or less, there's huge cracks because the wood is now seasoning and drying out, and the boards are shrinking. And maybe some nails are coming loose, too, so it's probably better to use power screws than nails. Yeah, interesting. So if you're going to be in consistently wet conditions in that everywhere you ride is wet, the horse gets washed off every day, there's dew on the grass, are you better off... What's the, how do I want to put this? Are, are your shoes going to get loose faster necessarily because, because their foot Quite stays possibly, moist? Yeah, the, the guys, uh, in South Florida that, you know, shoe, it's not only just the, the rain, but it's the humidity also in the air too. High humidity constantly bathing the horses. So those horses have to be, uh, and these are show horses. They have to be on a, a tighter chewing cycle. Um, because the feet, you know, are not growing quicker, but they're just more growthy looking and the feet are easily falling apart. Like if your fingernail is, uh, grows out and you're doing any kind of work with your hand, you're going to chip that and break it. You know, you have to keep your fingernails cut short. And I even noticed when I was in Florida, I had to cut my fingernails more often. Interesting. Really? That's and they were softer. Yeah, isn't that interesting? So as far as as um, shoes staying on and growth, you're going to see changes between consistently dry weather and consistently wet weather. What about um, hoof health issues with rot and crud and slime and stinkiness when it comes to wet weather? Well, certainly the, the, the stuff that are not great for the foot, like, you know, uh, fungi and bacteria and mold and all these microorganisms that we can't see that actually eat um, horny hoofwall materials, sole, frog, and uh, cause uh, white line disease and thrush and other things you don't want to have happening to horse feet. They thrive in the moisture conditions. And so um, a, a good practice for shoeing in, in the wettest climate, uh, especially uh, is to uh, hot fit all your shoes. and you know, and really be, you know, do a pretty good job of that. And that does a couple of things that dries the outer edge of the, the end of the, the foot where you've trimmed up. It, it like cuts off all that moisture transfer in and out of the foot. It, it sort of seals things up. And it also, you know, wherever that shoe touches, hot shoe is going to kill all the bacteria and fungi and uh, molds that could be living on that and trying to find a, a an opportunity to penetrate something. That's a good so point. These There's are that, all helpful. That shoe is really, 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 really hot. About how many degrees is that horseshoe when the fairy? It's about hot- a thousand degrees. Uh, we normally hot fit, so it's lost its incandescent color. We've been forging, putting a clip on it, or shaping it properly, or doing whatever modifications we have. Then we walk over to not only check the fit, but to actually, you know, burn a little. A little bit, not a lot. You don't want to do it excessively. And and if you have a nice flat shoe that almost fits, you can burn and scorch the bottom of the foot. And that tells you if you've got any high spots. And it also will kill all the stuff that's trying to, you know, enter the foot that you can't see. And then when you look at the shoe itself, you see a burn mark, which tells you where your shoe fits, where it's too full, not full enough. And you can adjust it from those burn marks on the shoe. So hot fitting serves a lot of purposes for the barriers that, that use it, and, um, and especially in these wet climates. Um, we had a very wet summer up here several years ago, 
And everybody was calling me up like, what do I do? What do I do? My feet are falling apart. I can make sure you hot fit everything. Interesting. And, um, yeah. and that helps. That helps in the wet climate. Interesting. So hot fitting is a real help. Now, when it comes to hoof conditions like thrush and white line disease or what they used to call seedy toe or even canker for that matter, can is using some type of antifungal agent designed for those diseases can you is it smart to use that stuff preventatively? In other words, my horse doesn't have thrush, but I'm going to treat him with product A four times a week so he doesn't get thrush? Not necessarily. I mean if you if the horse is susceptible or living you know, I see horses up here that sometimes during, you know, like the winters that are in run-in sheds and, and, and large amounts of horses where maybe things aren't cleaned up on a regular basis. And these horses are walking in muddy uh, conditions. And some of these horses have beautiful feet. They don't, they're not getting thrush or canker or anything because of the, you know, the conditions, the wetness. And then there are other horses that are living in beautiful conditions and nice clean stalls that develop this stuff. And certainly, if a horse is susceptible to these things, and some of it's an uh, immune system problem, some of it's confirmation that the horse is screwing his foot in the ground all the time or not landing and loading properly, making fissures, pulling his frog apart, these horses are more susceptible to thrush that are not landing and loading properly. So, you know, some horses are, can tolerate it and some can't. Um, but... Uh, being proactive, I think an easier, more economical way to be proactive, which I think a lot of people have gotten away from, is to use hydrated lime in your stalls underneath. Oh, and underneath the bedding. Okay. A lot of, yeah, and cleaning stalls regularly, and 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 just using I would you know uh, hydrated lime around where horses are living is uh, we've gotten away from that because it's kind of like, you know, it's it's messy if people get, you know, white powder or marks on their clothes or their boots. But really, that solves a lot of problems. Interesting. Now, if you're using a product that is labeled for um, treating thrush or white line, is there necessarily harm in using it if your horse does not have those conditions? No, not at all. Anything that they could buy over the counter should not be able to harm a horse. Okay. And that's why there are a few things that may be a prescription or compounded that you would need a, a veterinarian's prescription for. Or, you know, for instance, if you had something that had um, a DMSO in it and something that was more of a drug and using a DMSO to carry it in, then you would need a prescription and it, it should be used the way the veterinarian recommends it. Mm-hmm. But more often than not, the over-the-counter products like Duracell and Thrushbuster and those that help dry things up, they stain the active ingredient to the tissue, and so then it's lasting effect of it. Very good. Now, one final question when it comes to wet weather. Um, do topical hoof conditioners assist in, because if you read the really big print on the outside of the bottle, sometimes they'll claim this, keep right. the moisture level in the foot more stable? In other words, the... Uh, drastic change between wet and dry is narrowed a little bit, so you don't have that vast expansion and contraction. Can can hoof conditioners actually do that, or is that just something we think we're doing? Um, well, most of the water that enters the hoof either enters through the coronary band um, or you know from the bottom of the hoof, and water doesn't penetrate the actual hoof wall that well. But if you have fissures, 
infested nail holes, okay, you've opened up a spot where, you know, mm-hmm. excessive moisture and other things can get in. So things that really block that, like a beeswax type um, ointment, you know, conditioner might be helpful because it sticks, fills those holes. And so something that has a beeswax and usually any of these things quite often have um, tea tree oil in it. And so it serves as an anti-microorganism. But, or uh, something that actually coats it, makes the physical barrier, like tough stuff, um, will shed the water, but will let the foot transpire, you know, the right amount of moisture that it's intended for. So, like, a, a coating like tough stuff will seal up old nail holes and shed, you know, your daily water, but you still have the bottom and the top. You don't put tough stuff on the coronary band. So you still have a certain amount of water entering the foot um, that way. But it will, you know, the other thing that any of these coatings that, you know, actually stays there do, it supports a weak wall. So if you put any of these coatings on once a week, and it has to be on a clean, dry foot, otherwise the stuff won't stick, um, now you're shedding excessive water and you're um, giving a physical um, strengthening to the hoof wall. Well, there you go. So use things according to their labels and not what they're not used made for. That's a good idea. And, uh, well, thank you very right. much, uh, Steve Kraus, for joining us on the show again this month. And we'll be seeing you again soon to talk about more hoof topics. Yep. I'm here whenever you need me. And give us the name of the web, the Facebook page again. Um, our, our, our Cornell Farrier Program is on Facebook. Cornell so Farrier Program. Cornell Farrier Program. And we put interesting cases up on there, and uh, we do field some questions directly uh, from people, too. Awesome. Thank you very much. And that's a wrap. Make sure to have all of your favorite Horse Radio Network shows, and there are over a dozen to choose from with you, wherever you go by downloading the free Horse Radio Network app for your iPhone or your Android. Just go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. It's free and easy to use. You can also subscribe via iTunes, or you can listen on your favorite podcatcher. The Horse Radio Network and the Horse Radio Network hosts are not responsible for statements made by guests on the Horse Tip Daily. Please use your own judgment when listening to the tips on this show. This is Coach Jen, and until next time, go ride your horse. Horse.